This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Doug Ford has said uh, his first act as premier will be to scrap the cap and trade system. Here's what he had to say earlier today. You voted for a You sent a clear message. You voted for a plan that respects you and respects your hard-earned money. You voted for a team that was ready to govern. You gave us a mandate to take immediate action. And that's what we're going to do. After 15 years of being gouged at the pumps, gouged by high taxes and cap and trade, the people of Ontario want relief. And during the election, I promised we would take immediate action to lower gas prices by scrapping the carbon tax and ending cap and trade. Today, I want to confirm that in Ontario, the carbon taxes days are numbered. In fact, upon the swearing in of my new cabinet, at the top of our agenda, the very first item will be to pass an order to cancel the Liberal cap-and-trade carbon tax. As of June the 29th, the cap-and-trade, the carbon tax, they're gone, they're done. All right, that was Doug Ford speaking uh, on the carbon tax, and uh, he's going to dismantle it. Uh, let's bring in Christine Van Gein, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Christine, you must be a happy camper today. Oh, my God. I'm not going to lie. When that uh, news release popped into my inbox, I actually screamed. I'm I'm just absolutely thrilled. This is one of the I actually called yesterday. I said the first thing a Ford government needs to do is show they're serious about putting money back in taxpayers pockets and cancel cap and trade. This morning, he he goes ahead and and, and says that's exactly what he's going to do. It's going to be his first order of business. This is great news. Uh, we uh, obviously, when we first decided to contact you, it was on the fact that you wanted him to do this. By the time we got it arranged, he had done it. Uh, where does this leave things? How do you dismantle this? Any idea? Yeah. So this hasn't. This isn't the first time uh, regimes have pulled out of cap and trade, or, or sorry, uh, provinces or states have pulled out of cap and trade. Um, New Jersey was previously a member of a cap and trade program. Uh, it was called the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. It, it only applied to power plants, um, but uh, they, they pulled out. And the way I see it operating in Ontario, there, there are several different options. Um, first, we're in something called WCI, the Western Climate Initiative. They require a year's notice, so we would have to give the notice as soon as Cabinet is formed. On uh, That's what Mr. Ford is saying they're going to do. Um, and they can either cancel all of the existing credits, um, I don't advise doing that because then you'd have to pay compensation to the people who own those those carbon credits. The better option is to just allow the credits to expire in 2020 when they expire on, on their natural life and not reissue anymore. And yeah, it's really terrible for the businesses that had to pay for those credits that the government forced them to buy while Kathleen Wynne was premier. But the good news is that they're never going to be forced to buy them ever again. So if you are one of those companies, these credits are based and you've spent money on them. They're worthless now. Uh, They're not worthless yet. They're still eligible to be traded on the WCI market. You can exchange them um, with with, with, uh, businesses in California, but you wouldn't be issuing any more. You wouldn't need to... um, I mean, it, it would impact the value of the credits. The fact that Ontario has pulled out—that's that but, was my next question. Was what is it? Are they? What what happens to the value of them if obviously Ontario's out? Yeah, I mean, it can impact the the WCI market. 
but Quebec and California were operating that market without Ontario for a number of years, and they can continue to operate without Ontario. I mean, we, we're, we're the most recent addition to that, and, and we're a fairly new addition. So we haven't gone through that many auctions, and uh, the, that, that program taxing, on t- uh, taxing Californians and Quebecers can continue without Ontario um, sending money to those places. How do companies who have participated in this feel about it? Are they disappointed the, the government's cancelling it? So I think it would depend on the company. I can't speak for all these companies individually, but there are a lot of organizations um, like a group called the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers who have explicitly advocated for the elimination of cap and trade. So this was, among a lot of parts of industry, this was not a popular program. And um, yeah, there there will be costs to getting out. I'm not saying there will it's it's uh, costless to unwind a really complicated program that the Wynn government brought in, a really complicated tax that the Wynn government brought in. But the cost of keeping it is so much higher that it's, it's absolutely necessary to get out of this as early as we can. And I think that today, Mr. Ford made the absolute right decision to say that it's going to be the first order of business. What does this do to th- these types of systems? Are they on? Are, are people becoming more interested or less interested in them? You, you were talking about New Jersey pulling out as well. Yeah, so New Jersey pulled out of the greenhouse the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. They pulled out under Chris Christie in 2011. They're actually looking at rejoining it now that they have a Democratic uh, governor. But uh, we'll see what happens because it's not 100% that they'll be rejoining. But um, I would say that in the United States, there's a large opposition to programs like cap-and-trade and to carbon taxes. So we just had a, a friend of mine from Washington, who is the head of the environment uh, at the Washington Policy Center, came up and toured across Canada talking about what had happened in Washington State. Right. And as I'm sure you you probably know and your, your listeners uh, probably know, Washington is, is sort of the left coast of the United States. If, if there's a, a utopian left-wing idea about how, to, how government can, can solve all the world's ills, uh, it's going to happen in Washington. Washington has a Democratic governor. It has a Democratic uh, led, uh, state legislature, and it it overwhelmingly at the federal for presidential level votes Democratic. They pushed for a carbon tax, and it failed at every single legislative level. So even in the most left wing parts of the United States, the kind of carbon tax that we have in, in Ontario and the kind of carbon tax that Justin Trudeau is pushing for failed in the United States. I think that gives you an indication of what's going to happen at the national level in the United States. They're not going to have a carbon tax. Why is this not resonating with people? Why is cap-and-trade not resonating? I think cap-and-trade is an incredibly complicated yeah. and convoluted scheme. A lot of people don't understand how it works. It's, it's not straightforward. It doesn't show up on your bills. It doesn't show up on your bills because the wind government explicitly prohibited the utilities from listing it on bills. So... Um, a lot of people don't don't see it. They don't necessarily feel it as any part of um, as any different from regular price fluctuations in in fossil fuels like gasoline and natural gas. So um, it confuses people and they don't see it. And that was the intention when the, the cap and trade program tax was brought in place. Do you think that? Uh 
due to what Ontario has been through, and you know, obviously, uh, we're all talking about Doug Ford being sworn in June twenty seventh. Uh, with all that's happened with Ontario, has this left Ontarians with a bad taste in their mouth? Are they more skeptical about green energy? In, in some ways, I think Kathleen Wynne has done more of a disservice to green energy than she has a service because people are just, they're questioning it now because they, they just, it's not transparent. Yeah, I, honestly, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in Ontario. We're in a, we live in a beautiful place. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't care about the environment. Exactly. I care, I care deeply about the environment. But what I don't like is the really cynical and sort of self-interested schemes that the Wynn government was engaging in, giving t- subsidies for people who are buying these $150,000 Teslas. Um Giving, giving, uh, putting up these wind farms in communities that didn't want them and devaluing the land, uh, things like that. People really, people who care about the environment, and you talk to farmers, they care about the environment yeah. probably more than a downtown Don Valley West dwelling um, person in in Toronto, like Miss Wen. So um, I think people care about the environment, and they're they just could see through the cynicism and self-interested nature of the last government. So where does that leave green energy, Christine? Um, I think what we need to do is focus on how technology can be used to help people make better choices about, um, about the environment. So I'm not saying we should subsidize uh, new technology um, in the environmental world. That's sort of the, the wind government's model. But I think if you look at... Um, some of the old electric cars, these, these, these original electric cars were developed without subsidies mm. and succeeded without them. And the subsidies only came later. And there are things like, um, like home thermostats, like these smart thermostats yep. that people can use to help monitor their own electricity use without requiring the government to buy them for people. You know, we're self-interested to use less of our electricity to save our own money to begin with. And as technology improves, it gets cheaper, it's more accessible, it helps us save our own money, and it helps the environment. This is the kind of thing that is making the world better, not worse. And I think we should stop listening to politicians who just keep telling us that everything in the world is getting worse and we need the government to solve every problem. Uh, Obviously, Doug Ford announcing this. uh, Surprised he's announcing this, something like this, before he's even sworn in. I think it's the right thing to do. I think that he has a clear mandate to cancel cap and trade. I think it also helps by giving our partners in Quebec and California as early possible notice that they that they need that we're going to be leaving this regime. And it also shows an absolute commitment to taxpayers that he's, he's going to save them money. And it also signals to our friends in Saskatchewan who are fighting the federal government on a federal carbon tax, our friends in Alberta who, if they elect um, a, a United Conservative Party government with Mr. Kenny, which is what all the polls are sort of suggesting is going to happen. It sign- signals to them, we're going to fight with them against a federal carbon tax. And I think these are all important messages that even though he can't implement the, the, the withdrawal right now today, it sends a really, really strong signal to the people who need to know. So what will happen come the 27th? Uh, will we see prices go down? How soon before we see gas prices go down? So I, I actually I, I actually don't know that it's going to happen on the 29th when uh, Mr. Ford is sworn in as premier. Um, I think it might have to wait. He did say that in his 
in his press conference, but I think it might have to wait until the legislature is sitting before any legislation will be enacted. He said that he's going to have cabinet issue an order, but this this is all stuff that's going to be need to be implemented by legislation. And um, I don't know that it's going to be in the first sitting in um, the summer sitting. They're doing a special summer sitting to deal with the York University strike. So we'll see if it's included in in that special sitting. It's like a special emergency sitting that they're going to be doing. Um, it may end up being in the fall. So I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. He only made this announcement uh, like 45 minutes ago. So uh, how much do you expect prices to fall? So. Cap and trade right now is adding about 4.3 cents a liter to the cost of gasoline. Mr. Ford wants to reduce the price even further by by changing some of the eliminating or reducing some of the other provincial taxes that are applied to gasoline. Um, what's what's so important about cap and trade though isn't the 4.3 cents because you know it's summer prices fluctuate dramatically already. Um, you'll you'll drive down the street and you might see a four cent difference between two stations. What's important about cap and trade isn't just that reduction. It's that cap and trade was scheduled to increase dramatically between now and 2020. So just two years from now. Right now, cap and trade is about 16, um, costs about $16 per ton on every emission. Mm -hmm. So it adds, as I said, 4.3 cents a liter. Mr. Trudeau wants the federally imposed carbon tax to increase to 50 cents or sorry, fifty dollars uh, $50 a ton. So that would be a huge, huge impact on gas prices. What's important is that Mr. Ford is going to um, eliminate cap and trade as it stands now, eliminate the mechanism for increasing um, the price of the pump that dramatically and, and, and quickly, and that he's going to fight Justin Trudeau on any federally imposed tax. So cap and trade has a lot of potential to do really, really severe damage. Right now, it wasn't costing us as much as it has the potential to, and right. what he's done is stop that potential. Uh, are, are you concerned that, you know, this four cents, it'll get sucked up by the industry somewhere and we won't even see it? Uh, you, I, I don't think that that's, that's how the, the gas stations are, are operating, really. Um, I think that So we will, of, we will see a decrease when this happens, I guess well, that's we saw, my point. We, saw an, we certainly saw an increase in January mm-hmm. last year when it was brought in. It was an almost immediate increase. Yeah. Uh, Immediate increase. Yeah, we remember so, that part. That's, that's Will it be just as nice when it goes down, I guess is my point. It, I mean, it, sh- it should go down. But as you know, there are a lot of things that impact gas prices. It's not just cap and trade. So gas prices are, are hugely impacted by global markets. It, it's going to, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. It should result in a price decrease because the, the industry does not have that cost on them anymore. And if they're responsible, they should pass that savings on to consumers. Uh, today, uh, this week, all of the leaders, doesn't matter the political stripes, are standing behind uh, Justin Trudeau in regard to tariffs and such and, and dealings with the United States. How will Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford get along on this issue? Where Are we heading for a, a train wreck here? Um, I think that the, the premier can disagree with the prime minister on some policy issues and agree with him on others and, and continue to have a functional and working relationship. I don't think do you they see need them to locking, agree on everything. Do you, think, do you see them locking horns on this one, though? Oh, over over cap and trade yeah. or over the carbon tax, absolutely. But it's going to be a court battle more than anything. So um, it will be ultimately decided by the court. But I think what Mr. Ford is doing that's really important is he's putting political pressure on Mr. Trudeau that um, when combined with the political pressure 
from Premier Mo in Saskatchewan and potentially a Premier Kenny, should he be elected in Alberta, it's going to be really hard for the Prime Minister to stand up against the United Freight Front, against all, all of these uh, all of these premiers of these provinces. Do you think companies will, the companies that have already, you know, started participating in this are going to come to the government for some sort of compensation? Like, hey, we jumped on this and now you're telling us we don't need it. It's certainly possible um, that there will be some litigation around the cancellation of cap and trade, especially um, from our more litigious friends south of the border. Um, the market is linked with California and California companies are, are more prone to suing governments than uh, than Canadian ones are. So I think that, that there is there is some litigation risk associated with pulling out from cap and trade, but the bigger risk is from continuing to suck $2 billion out of the province's economy and send that money to, uh, to Quebec and California. Can Doug Ford afford to make these cuts? I think Doug Ford has a mandate to make them. Um, I think that he committed to doing it. And the whole thing with Wynne and Horvath's criticism of Mr. Ford saying, um, how does this factor into your budget? You know, there, you, it leaves you with a, a $2 billion hole that you should have been spending that $2 billion on, uh, on infrastructure, roads and schools, et cetera. That goes against, that, I mean, that's the most hypocritical thing that Wynne and Horvath could have said. Their whole point about the revenue from cap and trade was that it was going towards dedicated environmental programs, not that it was being used on roads and bridges. The yeah. roads and bridges budget is unimpacted by Mr. Ford's withdrawal from this. What's impacted is the the, the big green energy slush fund that was created um, with the money from this new tax. So, yeah, if he doesn't want to spend money subsidizing um, Tesla's and on all of these green programs that the, the, the wind government had cynically and self-interestedly uh, created and put money into, yeah, I, I, I don't think he's left with a hole if he doesn't want to fund those programs anymore. Uh, fascinating. Uh, and once again, it's not about green, it's about transparency. There you go. Christine Van Gein has been with us, Ontario Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Christine, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great yeah, weekend. Thanks. Thanks for having me, you too. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Well, lots of chat, uh, of course, uh, especially in and around uh, last week's G7 in regard to tariffs. Uh, and, and, of course, free trade uh, with uh, the other G7 countries and such. Obviously, uh, President Donald Trump uh, issuing tariffs on, uh, on all the allies and many complaining, what about China? What about China? Well, now, in fact, uh, he has announced that, uh, that their administration, the Trump administration, is now slapping tariffs on $50 billion of imports from China to which uh, China responds they will retaliate with the exact same. To talk more about all of this, Bridget Matheson is with us, Director of Canada-U.S. Cross-Border Business Affairs with Errant Fox LLP and with us now. Bridget, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Oh, always ready to talk to you, Scott. Thank so, you. Uh, you know, after the G7, everybody upset. There was that picture of, uh, you know, them leaning over the table at Trump with his arms closed. And, and many people then said, what about China? Well, now he's reacted with China. How does this change the discussion? Oh, listen, uh, I think after Canada and Mexico, China's got to be up there in terms of the largest trading relationship. And uh, uh, it uh, uh, furthers global reaction to uh, 
these tariffs today and, of course, the 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum and automotive parts of, uh, of last month. And uh, the challenges by those countries to the World Trade Organization have uh, already begun. So what products are we ta- is he talking about here? Oh, it's a huge range, uh, but very, um, if you, I, I, I would characterize the list as uh, industrial, components of industrial, a lot of automotive transportation equipment on that list, and a lot of agricultural products on that list. Um, there, are, there are, in fact, two lists. I'm not sure why, but um, the uh, list that was announced today, will uh, the 25% will be collected July 6th, beginning July 6th, and wow. that's the one that has uh, by far the most uh, machinery and equipment commodities. What about steel? There is um, uh, steel on there, on the list, as you can uh, well imagine. Of course, China was already wrapped up in the 232 steel right. uh, tariff, so... So uh, China has retaliated. Uh, many said when this was all brewing at the G7 uh, last week that this isn't going to make much of a dent to America, to Americans. On the other hand, now we have two uh, world economies, two, two large economies here. Okay. How, how is this going to affect the rest of the world and Americans? Yeah. So uh, the, uh, the telephone lines are a buzz. Um, it's uh, not not good news, and uh, one of the things that uh, we have learned, uh, my colleagues and I, at Aaron Fox, is uh, these tariffs, either uh, on the U.S. import side or uh, now with China in retaliation on the U.S. export side, the tariffs themselves are a problem. It's a cost problem. It's a, a competitive cost problem. And as so many of our companies uh, companies have told us, um, uh, bad enough for us that we're paying these uh, increased tariffs, the real insipid, deep worry from the manufacturing sector worldwide, including here in the United States, is supply. And uh, companies, uh, many companies can uh, maintain operations with a, a price increase, although 25% is pretty rough, they can't if they don't have supply. Hmm. And so if the 25% steel tariffs, aluminum tariffs, automotive parts tariffs, etc., knocks out supply into the United States of critical component parts, then production facilities close. Donald Trump's, uh, Donald, Donald Trump's argument would be, well, that's great because now you're going to start producing those things here, creating more jobs. What's well, your response to that? Well, that's right. That's, uh, that's the argument. And it's a very uh, mercantilist argument. First of all, it's uh, uh, not easy to move production, especially heavy machinery, heavy production. Uh, number two, uh, why increase production where supply is decreased? And uh, many, many companies are very likely to move elsewhere other than the United States. Uh, and those are the countries that have open and free trade agreements with other markets, including Canada and Mexico and their uh, uh, free trade agreements. And, you know, the TP- CPTP, whatever we're calling it now, right. um, is now more viable than ever. Uh, what, why did Trump not start with China rather than the allies? Oh, my gosh, that's a good question, Scott. Um, my personal opinion, 
uh, is that the tariffs on, particularly the 2-3 tariffs, 2-3-2 tariffs on the automotive products for, um, uh, for everyone, including Canada and Mexico, was a strategic move to spur Ottawa and Mexico City to the NAFTA negotiating table and to accept all of the American proposals. That is my personal view. Uh, how does this affect the peace talks with North Korea, considering China's role in that and very much was a part of this behind the scenes? How, how, how does this change that relationship? Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a trade policy wonk, uh, not foreign policy, but mm. you're absolutely right. Uh, the United States does need China and others to uh, um, confront North Korea and, and get viable peace agreements in place. Uh, China today, after the White House announced the 301 tariffs, China replied very, very quickly. I think uh, it took two minutes to get onto my computer screen this morning. Mm. And they, their statement is uh, it's chilling. And that was, uh, we understand the U.S. is going to impose these tariffs upon us, so now we will also, and uh, not only will we impose our tariffs, and they tell us that they will impose it on the same day the United States will, that uh, they will null and void any economic agreement between China and the United States in the past. And your listeners may well know that in the spring, in May of this year, Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, was in Beijing, and they were starting a negotiation on automotive trade. And that's probably off the table right now. Uh, speaking of, uh, of Lighthizer, he said uh, it's uh, thorough, it's moderate, it's appropriate on these uh, tariffs to China. He adds, our hope is that it doesn't lead to a rash reaction from China. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you be expecting? Exactly. I mean, I, I guess he hoped the same thing for the rest of the G7. That's right. And on my last count, um, the, uh, the announcements by the following countries have already uh, announced retaliation challenges at the WTO. And they include, uh, well, obviously Canada and Mexico, but it's EU, it's Turkey, Italy, China, uh, and Russia, actually. And... Um, Norway was the last to be on the list as of yesterday. So uh, countries are certainly reacting, and reacting very strongly, um, and uh, making uh, their um, dismay very public. Does Donald Trump have a point? I'm trying to plan devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Is, is, there, is there fair trade? Is there an imbalance? He said he has to do what he has to do. So... Uh, you know, many will say, many, you know, although this has been very prosperous, as we look yeah. back at even the North American Free Trade Act, it's been very prosperous for some, not so prosperous for others, uh, and specifically, you know, the shrinking middle class. Mm-hmm. Does, how do you respond to that? The, um, th- there's a reason why free trade agreements have been around in the modern world for many, many, many years. And, and, and trade means a two-way street. And it's about comparative advantage. You and I, I think, have talked about this before, at least offline. And uh, uh, there are manuf- high-tech manufacturing uh, uh, products and industries that must have these critical components. 
And so uh, the trade agreement, there was nothing about the NAFTA that, uh, apart from milk, I guess, dairy, that uh, President Trump really took issue with. Uh, with, him, with this administration, it's all about the numbers. And he has continued to say that Canada has a trade imbalance with the United States, that we sell more to the United States than the United States sells to Canada. That's been rebutted many, 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 many times, including within this administration. Um, but for him, it's a ledger, and it doesn't contemplate why companies need component parts from other countries or simply raw materials, you know. So it's, um, it's an economic argument that has been played out for the last, you know, four or five decades. It's proven to be successful, the model. It's just not the mercantilist perspective that this current president has. What about China's reaction? Because um, obviously we saw what happened with the G7. How does this change uh, things in the world? How does this change the world economy? So I think the biggest, there's, it's, look, it's, it's going to have a ripple effect uh, throughout the, uh, uh, the global economy, absolutely. Uh, 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 prices are going to rise. Uh, if prices rise, then there's a threat of inflation. Inflation means interest rates. Uh, and uh, 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 global supply and, com- and, and customer basis are going to shift. It will depend on how long these tariff tiffs stay in place. And hopefully, they will not be um, uh, with us for very, very long. But we don't know that. And executives and corporate boardrooms need to take this into account. And they're taking the long view because they have to. Remember, most companies have contracts for supplies and customers that run over two years. Sometimes they're five-year contracts. These contracts have a legal obligation, and they are now at risk because they can no longer buy from that one supplier that happens to be in China or the U.K. or in Italy. And so so that whole production is going to shift if these tariffs remain in place for very, very long. I don't know what the magic number is of how long companies can last, uh, and exist within this uh, paradigm that we have found ourselves in, but it's not good. Uh, will this create more jobs for Donald Trump? Um, I don't know. You know, uh, if uh, if a, a production company in uh, in Milwaukee decides that they're going to uh, move away from their production in Canada because of all these high tariffs, and that increases jobs, I would assume. If that same company can't get the steel supply from Hamilton, Ontario, and has to close production, then that's not good news, and jobs will decrease. You talked about how companies are preparing for this and looking at the long game, and you know, ever since Donald Trump took office, that's been... Uh, one of the, the major complaints is the, the inconsistency, the divisiveness. They just can't plan. They just can't prepare right. for the future. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, you're, you're almost saying as if we're waiting until Donald Trump leaves. Is this, could this become the new normal? 
Well, that's what everyone is worried about. That's exactly right. And, um, uh, and frankly, people are looking towards uh, the midterm elections in November. It's not that far away. And if there is a change in Congress where uh, the other party uh, uh, re- uh, returns to the majority, particularly in the House that I'm talking about, then uh, the, 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 there could be a blunt uh, against these kind of tariff actions. But by all, in, and so that is the hope among the executives and business leaders in the United States and abroad. So uh, hang on a sec. So the businesses are hoping the Democrats save them. No, well, I think the businesses are hoping for an end of this uncertainty and an end to these tariffs. And right now, uh, Congress, the U.S. Congress, seems to have blessed these tariffs. There are a few congressional members who have spoken out. But for the most part, Congress has taken no role in these tariff uh, applications and tariff policy. Where does that leave the Republican Party, though, Bridget? Because these are the the architects of free trade. It's the Democrats that question this. So what happens now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It is the quintessential question here in Washington right now. It is, is this the new uh, grand old party? Is this the new, you mentioned the new norm. Uh, uh, you're right. Is it the new norm for the Republican Party? And uh, because it's absolutely uh, counterintuitive, it is uh, a 180-degree turn from the traditional GOP trade agenda and business agenda. How will Trump react? When will the tweets start on this? Oh, they probably, you know, look, I've been on uh, this phone call now for five minutes. They probably have already started. <laughs> uh, this is Friday, and uh, all things bad happen on Friday here in Washington, D.C. And uh, the tweets start, start coming in vociferously uh, by Friday afternoon all through the weekend. Um, and uh, probably why China has decided to make their statement public um, so early and so quickly after the White House announcement. But uh, whenever, whenever we have situations like this, I always ask the ex- experts I have on, how are Americans reacting? And the answer is always the same. It depends on who you're supporting. Is it the base? Is it this? Is it that? But sooner or later, there has to be, as you said, a paradigm shift here where people are just going, well, wait a sec. This is yeah. going way off the rails. Yeah. How, are me- how are Americans reacting? To this. I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think Americans are extremely anxious. I think they're very, most people are very, very worried. Uh, there was a slight increase in the Fed rate um, a week ago, I think, maybe two weeks ago by now. Um, uh, and uh, those who are watching that rate and other indicators are really worried about uh, uh, these tariff measures and the economic impact of the United States, let alone everybody else. And most households, when you start jacking up the interest rate and your, the price of your home mortgage gets higher or the price of your car loan becomes higher uh, and you, your job is at risk, all of a sudden people are going to be asking the question, how did we get here? Why did this happen? I thought the economic news was good news. And if a trade, trade and tariff tools um, are a slow-moving beast. And so the economic impact of a tariff policy such as the one today, where you're jacking it up to 10% and 25%, that will be felt three months from now.
two months from now, maybe six months from now. It's not immediate. And so uh, most people here in Washington think that uh, uh, we're now June, end of summer, into the early fall, which is the worst uh, calendar moment for this, uh, this uh, city. Um, some of the economic indicators are going to start to look not that great. And that's where the questions are going to start happening. Right now, unemployment is low in the United States, apparently. Uh, has have American has American business uh, have they grown tired of this? Are they becoming fatigued just simply they're, because of there's so much president, so much in your face every day? They are exhausted. They are absolutely exhausted, and they can't um, uh, lose the ball. Because these yeah. this kind of action is so intrusive into their company's operations and their uh, long-term strategies. And the, the uncertainty uh, is, as I said, almost as bad as a 25% tariff. One of the reasons, uh, I'll share this with your listeners, um, one of the reasons why the NAFTA talks have been so controversial and have lagged a little bit in the last few weeks is the U.S. insistence on the sunset clause, the five-year sunset clause. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why Canada and Mexico don't like the sunset clause is because it dampens foreign investment. Who, who, who's going to invest in North America if the rules are going to change every five years? So it's this uncertainty uh, that is almost impossible to calculate. And companies are trying to, A, keep their supply chains open. That's the first priority. And uh, uh, two, to try to keep their customer base Bridget Matheson has been with us, Director of Canada-U.S. Cross-Border Business Affairs with Errant Fox LLP out of Washington. Bridget, fascinating times. I'm sure we'll speak again. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Pride weekend in the hammer. Joining us now, Jessica Russell, coordinator of Spectrum Hamilton, and Cameron Kretsch, who is the community organizer with Pride Hamilton, and both are with us now. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate this. Thank you. All Thanks right. For for, us. Uh, we know about Pride. Tell us about Spectrum. Uh, so Spectrum is a new organization for queer and trans young people, so 17 to 29 in Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, and we're sort of a grassroots group of young people that have come together to uh, create skill sharing and meet up opportunities uh, for each other in the city. So what's the difference between that and, say, Pride? So one thing about Pride is that it, it's often focused in the month of June, mm-hmm. so it's it's really about um, both a celebration and a statement about um, being uh, queer and trans people and, and that we're here and, and to celebrate us. And then Spectrum also, uh, on a similar note, but uh, on a different note, is that we are focused on really uh, supporting mm-hmm. uh, queer and trans young people in the city. So that includes giving opportunities for skill sharing, giving opportunities uh, to uh, get together and, and meet each other. We support uh, young people who are, you know, facing uh, different challenges in their lives. We support uh, trans folks. We support uh, queer refugees. Uh, we support uh, all sorts of folks in the community that uh, that need it, and we we try to create space to support each other. What is the biggest misconception here that people are missing? Can you define that a little bit more for me? Uh, what are we missing about the community? What what are people? Obviously, people are becoming more accepting. We're seeing that it's with these great celebrations that are going on. What are some of the challenges? What what are some people missing? 
I'm not sure people are missing anything at this point. Um, I think the that, message is out. Well, yeah, I think so, and I think people may not feel that everyone's welcome at Pride. Um, but we've been talking a lot about it in our meetings. Allies coming out to Pride um, and celebrating with the community. Um, we're having Engage Park this year, for instance, which is a bit bigger of a celebration, right? Yeah. So in the central part of Hamilton. Um, but I so this is open. You want it's open to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So give us the logistics. Tell us what's happening as far as functions and stuff this weekend. Sure. So the main kind of Pride event that's happening this weekend is happening at sun on Sunday in mm-hmm. Gage Park. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a rally at 1030 uh, for people to get together, um, be supportive of Pride. And then at about 12 o'clock, that's when the festivities get going until six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And there are vendors, there's a kid zone, there are performers throughout the day. Um, things I'm forgetting, Jess, that are, that are happening. Spectrum will be there with a the booth That's and a true, little mini man. claw machine, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> uh, uh, but there's there's going to be lots of uh, different people from across the community. It's the perfect time if you've ever wanted anything rainbow mm. to come out. And mm. also you get to support as well, sort of like your local community uh, as well, who are, you know, like some of um, the youth that I know are, you know, crocheting rainbow hats and, you know, making, making their own stuff to show... Uh, to show support and, and to show our community. So it's a great opportunity to come out. Not everybody is getting that message. Uh, and there's people that are trying to crash this party. Talk about that. Yeah, there have been some folks going out crashing other pride parties, as you put it, and Haldeman Norfolk. Uh, there are a group of individuals who came out um, and were hateful, I'll mm-hmm. be blunt, and tried to disrupt that pride. Um, the same thing happened at Barry Pride recently, and then a similar group of individuals came out at Pride Niagara and tried to do that. Um, so part of what we've been doing is facilitating discussions in the community to get people out to say, what can we do to prepare if that happens? Um, how can we support one another? How can we keep Pride safe? How can we focus on the message of love is louder, right? So that's what we're doing um, We're doing right now. Is, is this something that happens more so at the smaller celebrations? This is something we haven't seen before. So Does Toronto get this with the big one? I would say they're because they are a more established pride, and right. I think that they've had uh, they've one had a lot more experience or or you know continued organizing, uh, and because they're such a destination for prides, it, it brings a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, that they have, I think, a different uh, community relationship, and then also they just have a different amount of people. So what we're seeing and what we haven't seen in the past, in past like Hamilton prides or smaller prides, you would maybe see one or two rogue people with right. with a sign or something like that, which was a little bit easier to ignore. But what we're seeing now is organized people who are coming with signs. They have uh, very strong defensive tactics, uh, and they are... So they uh, plan for this. There's they're very organized, yeah, and they've yeah. gotten support as well from uh, people who are uh, have been doing this across the states as well. So because they're in small numbers, we think that they're targeting especially smaller prides. Mm. Um, so that's why we're not quite sure if they're going to show up. We, they know that I'm sure they know that we've been planning. <laughs> uh, Is it same people? Like, are you noticing the same people, the same group doing it? Yeah, if you look at the pictures that are circulated on social media, they're certainly the same people um, with some of the same signs and some of the same messages. Yeah, they seem to have a lot of free time. Yeah. Wow. They're professional signs. Yeah. 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 Um, So what do you do to combat this? How do you adjust for it? 
Yeah, one thing we did uh, Tuesday, June 5th was we had a community meeting and about 100 people came out mm -hmm. and people just got to talk about what their experiences were like, reflect on what had happened at Haldeman Norfolk Pride, and then get together in smaller groups and come up with tactical strategies for dealing with it. Um, some of this stuff is about aversion, right? We want to make sure that if people are saying hateful things, um, that those aren't, those aren't really getting out. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want the event to be uh, a day long of people uh, yeah. hollering and yeah. things like that. So it's about averting that from happening. Um, and the different kinds of things you might do to make noise in contrast to that, right. uh, just you know, sort of block out signs that might be um, hateful or offensive. So, right. yeah. What about police? Are they how involved are they on this? I think that what we're learning as well from other experiences, and I think we can look at at you know experiences with like Haldeman Norfolk, is that um, we can't necessarily uh, you know when police intervene. They're there to protect all bodies, including the bodies of the protesters, including, right. uh, including they're, there peace, yeah. they're there to keep the peace. Yeah. So um, definitely in our strategy is really focusing on what can we do as community members to keep each other safe, to make sure that, you know, our community members, uh, you know, are safe both emotionally, physically, Like how, ir how ironic is this? Because that's the whole purpose of Pride. Mm -hmm. like that's what you're like, you know, it's supposed to be a celebration. Yeah. And yet still, you know, some are using it as an as an opportunity to, to push their own agenda. Um, what is the relationship like with police? Because we've heard of the situations with Toronto and I don't want to get this too political, but, y you know, well, it's up to you. But, you know, we've certainly heard the situation there. Is it different here? I think that you had to look at sort of, you know, societal structures. I think that every community in their histories, I think every relationship with LGBT people and uh, and police in every community based on past histories of, of how yeah. um, systems have really used that to uh, historically oppress queer people. So I think that those are ongoing conversations that uh, that Pride is having. And I think that we're also, I think what's important to note as well is that we are uh, many communities put together, mm -hmm. right? So we're communities of people of color, we're communities of people with disabilities, we're communities of poor people, we're communities of less poor people. Um, so I think that individually all our relationships are different with, say, police or, or other systems or schools. Uh, so I think that uh, on an individual level, we all have different ideas, generally um, to make sure that everyone feels safe and to, to sort of sidestep that conversation is, is police are generally not... Uh, too involved. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, we don't have con individual control of everyone there, right? So some people who would prefer to have police there may call police if, if these people show up. But uh, mm. it's really it's really up about that we're a community of individuals with different perspectives. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think that it's important to highlight that what's going to be happening at this rally is that there's going to be a lot of allies. So the Hamilton District Labor Council will be there. Mm -hmm. um, other kinds of union folks are coming out uh, to support the community. I want to make sure I mention that and focus on what's going to be happening um, at the rally with everyone coming together and to focus on what Jess is saying, which is that this is about the community coming out to support the community. Right. Mm -hmm. We're seeing these things happening. So everyone's coming out to try and make sure um, that we have a safe pride. Do you think... Um, uh, do you think that this movement is growing? Do you think once they see how you prepare for this, that they're not going to bother? I mean, where do you see this going? Sure. Um, I could talk a little bit about that. In previous prides, I know in Hamilton, um, there have kind of been single protesters or single, single folks coming out. 
um, and doing these kinds of things. It's certainly growing. Um, there are now multiple individuals doing it. It seems more organized. It seems there's kind of a bit of, uh, as Jess was saying earlier, activity across the border about this. So I think that um, unfortunately, it is growing, and it's something we have to be mindful of when we're organizing Pride in the future, and something to be thoughtful of and think about and prepare for. I'm going to ask you a question from a listener here, and uh, they do so with respect, but they say, why do we need a public day for this? Why, does, why, does it, why do you need your own day? What would you answer to that? I think a day isn't really much to ask for, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I think that Again, I think that these 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 people who are potentially planning to come, you know, this is why we need to show that yeah. that Hamilton, uh, I think, has so much potential to be even more accepting, and uh, that um, you know we we're not asking. I don't think we're asking for much to you know we're not asking. Most of all, the work and and the time and energy put into this are being done by members of our community, and and I think you could say the same about any organized group, you know. Um, and like Cameron was saying, you know, this is an event for everyone. You know, if you want to come out and, and join, or if you want to go to Gage Park and then go the other half of Gage Park because you don't want to see us, that's up to you. Uh, but but we're going to be having uh, a really great time. What uh, do you know? Out. What do you know about the group that? And again, you seem to allude that it, it, it's the same. There's similarities with all these groups that have been going around into the various uh, Pride Days. What do you know about this group? Do you know any of the history? Do you know anything about them? Do you know? Not are they religious groups? Are they this? Are they that? What are they? A lot of their messaging is really religious, so yeah. it would be, be a hard departure to right. think they weren't religious. Yeah. <laughs> and I know uh, I know that some people um, have been doing some kind of, you know, trying to figure out who they are, but we don't have anything kind of concrete at this point. The thing about a lot of these pride organizations, especially smaller prides, um, is that they're just coming up. Second yeah. year of Haldeman Norfolk Pride. Mm. So people don't have a huge institutional background to draw from and lots of resources, right? Um, we're precarious communities coming together trying to make sure we have a safe event. Uh, that's the, the focus. So we don't haven't kind of gotten to the point yet of building a research infrastructure to figure out who everyone is. And here's hoping you don't have to. Yeah, right? I mean, that's not the, that's <laughs> yeah. not the objective of the day. No. Uh, all right, so give us details again. Gage Park, Sunday. Sunday, June 17th from 12 till 6 mm -hmm. is when the park event will be happening and it'll be a rally, a support rally from 10.30 to 11.30. All right, and joining us has been Jessica Russell, coordinator of Spectrum Hamilton and Cameron Kretsch, community organizer, Pride Hamilton. Good luck, congratulations. Hope it all works out for you. Thanks for Thank coming you. in, so appreciate it. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.